0: Welcome to Overcrest, I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. Got a fun episode for you guys today. We have Charles Spence, the author of Sense Hacking. Professor Charles Spence. Professor, coming on the podcast a little bit later to talk about all the senses that get us going. And I've heard that our intro is pretty good. It gets people (laughs) going. That's true. I see what you're doing there. It gets people going. And it's got a good engine sound. (laughs) Yes, it does. Which is
1: my car. Yes. Which is well, my car. one of them is your car.
0: Well, one of them is my car. The one that doesn't sound quite as good as, yeah, the, exactly. one, as <laughs> the other need one. need to clarify that for <laughs> everyone.
1: So Chris, I started out researching this episode with a simple question in mind. Why do some engines sound good while others don't? And on its face, the question is really simple. One that comes down to physics. Okay. Well, one is well, usually it's performance. One sounds better. The
0: performance ones always sound better. Sometimes. There's, is there a non-performance engine that sounds good ever?
1: I would say so. Some engines, when they're too high strung, don't sound good.
0: Oh, yeah. They sound just a
1: little bit too whiny, like a Pagani. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So an internal combustion engine sound is produced by the combustion itself, right? So right. let's let's really dig in and okay. just go down to the bare elements here. I'm ready. So spoken in musical terms, the number of combustions dictates the melody of the sound, right? So either I have a cycle of an engine, be it a two-stroke, a four-stroke, or something completely different. That's strange. You know what that is.
0: Yes, that's, that's a Mazda. <laughs> the Mazda
1: 787B, which yes. we actually did a whole episode on, if you go back in the archives for that one. Now, in addition to the style of the engine, the number of cylinders obviously plays a huge role in the melody of an engine. An inline four cylinder <laughs> sounds a heck of a lot different than an American V8. Yeah, one sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but even the same engine configurations can sound vastly different based on the firing order and crankshaft design. That's a flat plane crank. Yes, it is. That's a Ferrari 458, which, as I said, uses a relatively small displacement V8, but like all Ferraris, has a flat plane crankshaft. So this puts every single cylinder firing exactly 180 degrees out from each other, giving it that more smooth melody. The displacement of each combustion chamber itself also affects the tone of the sound, with smaller cylinders giving a higher pitch as opposed to the massive displacement of that hemi we heard it before it. Beyond the number of cylinders and configuration of an engine, why ex- didn't we
0: we should have recorded the sound of my Vespa?
1: Why? Because it sounds
2: terrible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay it does it <laughs> yeah. does it, yeah it, I
1: mean it's a little single cylinder two cycle so yeah, it's what is just, it supposed to do just winds away way. yes <laughs> so behind the be, uh, excuse me besides the number of cylinders and the configuration of an engine the exhaust system itself plays a huge role in the sound that seems obvious to say but it's just the design of the exhaust that can actually dictate the difference noises. So beyond just the volume level of the I engine feel like noise. the exhaust is so much easier to tune.
0: You can change the length. You can change the headers. You can change the muffler. You can change... You can delete the cap. There's all kinds of different things. When you build the engine and stick an intake on it, you can do a little bit, but you're kind of stuck with what you got. Right. Which <laughs> is why I always go... Yeah, but what does the induction noise sound like? Yes. Because that's what it's all about for me.
1: (laughs) Yes, it is. It It is. is. No, but here's a perfect example of exhaust design massively changing the character of an engine. Take example, the distinctive burble of a Subaru WRX or STI.
0: Bad quality That's, there, but <laughs> it sounds like a 180 with a blown coil pack, is what that sounds like <laughs> to me.
1: <laughs> well, what's interesting is that that unique sound is actually created by the unequal length exhaust manifolds. So, when the same engine is equipped with a manifold with equal length primaries, so if you would like that your car to sound, sound broken,
0: yes, if you would like your car to sound broken, do what Subaru did yes put unequal so, headers on there.
1: If you do equal length headers, it sounds basically like any other four-cylinder, inline cylinder, right. inline four-cylinder. They just sound like they're misfiring. Like there's a cylinder that's just not
0: quite right when you well, listen it's to it.
1: because you're basically tricking the engine into sounding like it has an uneven firing order when in fact it is even, you know, so you're making one of the exhaust lengths longer, so it right. takes longer for that exhaust pulse to get and merge with the rest of them. And there are guys that actually like that sound and make unequal length manifolds for inline cylinder engines. Yeah, there are guys that are into fat chicks too, but that's not the norm. (laughs) It's not the norm. Okay, regardless. (laughs) And the engineering of exhaust systems themselves has developed leaps and bounds since the days of just sticking long tube headers and glass packs on your Camaro. Yeah. Modern exhaust. Was that good?
0: Was that good? Yeah! it I no, to...
1: got extended a little oh, longer. Okay, I'll yeah! try again later when it all makes right. sense. Right. So modern <laughs> exhaust, both OEM and aftermarket, are actually able to tune out unwanted frequencies. So most of us So have what's experienced an unwanted frequency? Exhaust drone. Drone, yes. Nobody likes that. Exactly. So drone is usually referencing a noise frequency that resonates within the car itself and is not at all pleasant. No, We've it's all awful. experienced it in some sort of modified car. And
0: a lot of times it's when you're younger and you just
1: slap an exhaust on your car. It doesn't, like, yeah. Yeah, this thing's awesome. And then you go it's on the freeway so... for the first time and you're <laughs> like, what?
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you just kind of suffer through it anyway because your exactly. car is super sweet with exactly. exhaust. Exactly. Yep. So- your
1: girlfriend's like... <laughs>
0: I can't hear my dad on the phone.
1: <laughs> is this is from personal experience. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, these unpleasant frequencies can actually be completely eliminated by canceling themselves out, just the same way your noise canceling headphones work by actually playing the opposite frequency over the undesired tone. This can be done with the exhaust piping itself, Chris, through the use of a Helmholtz resonator. A what? Helmholtz resonator that named German. after the German physicist yes. Hermann Ludwig Ferdinand von Helmswolf <laughs> wow yeah. yeah so a Helmholtz resonator is actually a simple device imagine blowing over the top of an empty beer bottle yes it goes okay. makes a exactly yeah. so the volume of the bottle creates a specific tone as air passes over it and resonates within the chamber of the beer bottle that's how the blue man group makes all of their money <laughs> i guess you're right (laughs) now imagine putting that beer bottle on your exhaust pipe that's basically what a helmholtz resonator is by changing the volume of the chamber designers can create a desired resonance frequency which is used to cancel out unwanted tones gotcha but there's more to an engine sound that's why we always do a resonator delete because you want it to sound... Because you want it to sound louder. <laughs> yes, yeah. Exactly. But an inline resonator is different than a Helmholtz resonator. Oh, okay. Helmholtz resonator looks like it's just a branch off the exhaust, where you're like, what? what is that for? Okay. It's all for resonance tuning. Got it. Um, but, as you alluded to earlier, there's more to an engine sound than just the exhaust. As we know with our old 911s, the roar of an intake can sometimes be just as loud as the exhaust itself. Manufacturers use the same techniques to either isolate, eliminate, or accentuate the sound produced from the intake track of an engine. If you pop the hood on any modern internal combustion car, and then remove the giant plastic engine cover that's undoubtedly there. To see there, the plastic intake manifold you will notice to the
0: plastic valve cover. Did you know? Yeah. Oh, plastic oil man. pans?
1: Yes, plastic oil pans. How is that a thing? I don't know, man. But you'll notice this mess of plastic tubing and compartments leading to the intake. And all of this is designed with sound manipulation in mind. For example... Corrugated piping can act as a muffler for incoming air, while the strange-looking appendages that branch off an intake and don't seem to go anywhere at all or do anything are actually precisely tuned resonance chambers. And, speaking of induction, there are other sounds that certainly add to a car's distinctive character. (laughs) The whine of a hellcat. (laughs) Hellcat supercharger, or the spooling of a turbo for that matter, arguably adds more to the audible experience of a car than anything else. Regardless of what you think sounds good though, do you know what is undoubtedly good? I can think of a few things that are undoubtedly good, but it's probably not in the vein of this podcast. What it's box Chris.
0: Oh, yeah, it's
1: pretty good. Box is a monthly service made specifically for the automotive enthusiasts. Each month, they carefully select items including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, and publications to be sent right there to your doorstep. It's a curated selection of the latest and greatest in the industry. And there's actually two different levels of subscription. <laughs> 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 keep keep going. Keep we're, we're there's only one way to say subscription, but there's two different levels of it. The PetrolBox Basic costs less than 20 bucks a month, while the PetrolBox Premium gets you <laughs> even more gear for $39.95 a month. Check them out on mypetrolbox.com. And be sure to use the code OverCrest at checkout to get $6 off your first month. Yeah. There it is. Is that good? That's decent. Okay.
0: okay. I'll keep working
1: on it. So when it comes to forced induction, ironically, or perhaps understanding, Understandably, for the non-enthusiast, most OEMs attempt to muffler or mask these sounds completely, but there are some engine sounds that are so iconic and ingrained in a brand's DNA that they are synonymous with the manufacturer themselves. invent the, the Chris no <laughs> Harley Davidson Motor Company filed a government trademark in 1994 for the distinctive thumping it took them of its that long 1994
0: they should have figured that out a long
1: time well, ago Although the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office had not officially ruled on Harley's application, six years of legal battles with other motorcycle manufacturers had cost the brand untold thousands of dollars. I would say hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees. As such, Harley withdrew the application in 2000, stating that, quote, "...our customers know the sound cannot be imitated." And that's good enough for us. Because we're out of money. (laughs) Hey, would you like to buy Buell? (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what happened. (laughs) So the sound of a vehicle is obviously important. And while we've gone through the technical explanation of why cars sound the way they do, that still doesn't answer the question of why a certain engine sounds good. What sounds good and what doesn't is somewhat subjective and gets into human psychology. And, as it just so happens, there is an entire field of science known as psychoacoustics. Psychoacoustics is the study of sound perception and audiology, which is how humans perceive various sounds, Chris. More specifically, it is the branch of science studying the psychological responses associated with sound. And rather than trying to wade through the science ourselves, we called on the foremost expert, Professor Charles Spence. But first let's take a minute to talk about Oberk Car Care. Oberk Car Care is your source for professional detailing compounds and supplies that is researched, tested, and developed by professional detailers themselves. These are the guys that are passionate about detailing and know firsthand what makes a good product. And they truly are great products. I love it. It's a simple, foolproof, two-step process. It's easy and gives an amazing finish. And right now, they're offering a whopping 20% off your next order when you use the code Overcrest, the discount code is good not only at OberkCarCare.com but also on DetailedImage.com and CarSuppliesWarehouse.com. Go check them out today. And this
0: episode comes out on Monday, and I've already shamed Jake on Friday <laughs> for how dirty his and disgusting his mechanic is. Yeah, that's so. Hopefully, needs over some the, hopefully over the weekend, he has. I'll get after uh, it. He has
1: gotten after it. I do have some Oberk that needs to be applied. So, Professor Charles Spence, Chris is the world expert in multi-sensory perception and experience design, having spent over 25 years researching how people perceive the world around them at the Cross-Modal Research Laboratory at Oxford University. He has consulted for many multinational companies, including automotive manufacturers, on how to hack the senses of drivers. He has a new book out called Sense Hacking as well. Well, welcome uh, to the guy that's way smarter than both of us. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to read an excerpt from your book, Sense Hacking. One should never forget that the fundamental psychological challenges around what is, let's face it, a very unnatural activity. Our brains certainly did not evolve to drive. You go on then to say that the car is a paradigm case of multi-sensory design where everything has been engineered to communicate subliminally through sight, sound, scent, and even touch, just the right feeling to the driver. And Professor Spence, you have worked with audio manufacturers to perfect the design of the car when it comes to our senses. What what did that entail?
2: <laughs> so yeah, I've been working for, I guess, a quarter of a century now, uh, on and off with uh some of the big car manufacturers around the world. Uh, I'm not sure we ever got to perfecting the (laughs) multi-sensory design of the car, but at least uh, strove to try and um, understand some of the factors driving, if you'll excuse the pun, uh, 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 the motorist's perception, um, and and how to optimise those, as was mentioned, sometimes subliminal cues, things that we don't necessarily pay attention to or realise that we are doing or smelling or touching yet which nevertheless do seem to have a, um, a surprisingly large effect on our perception, be it of the, of the, of the car brand, be it of its performance, uh, or even be it you know, of our own state as a, a driver or passenger.
1: We've been talking a lot about the sound of a car, but there's there's so much more that goes mm-hmm. into it than just that. So before we get to the auditory sense of a car, let's cover what else goes into z- designing for the senses. Starting with the smell of a car.
2: That's right. I think you know one of the most interesting uh, smells out there has to be, for me at least, a new car smell. <laughs> uh, something that I don't think any of us were born, you know, with a, with an innate uh, liking. Of or for, I can just go to the, yet, to the gas station and pick up the little the little tree
0: that says <laughs> new car scent on it right there. That's the one, right?
2: You, you, you can do now. Um, and so I, I think we've been, many of us have come to like that scent. So it's become very sort of rewarding and positive and hedonically he, he like, he valenced, not because of what the smell is itself, but because of what it represents or what it's kind of paired with uh, with that sort of new uh, high value car purchase. Um, and you know, I think. It, Right there, you know, it, it, this smell. We, if we've learnt to like that smell, and we can maybe tweak it a certain way to smell a bit more like this or like that to appeal to more noses, then if we can do that for a, an arbitrary smell like a new car smell, could we take the same insights and think about, you know, a new, a new yacht if you're rich enough smell or a new what computer about a new smell friend
0: smells is that <laughs> <laughs> or is that more that's that's a nature engineered
1: nature Figured that one out it's for a us. Bit of both, it's a bit of both
2: it's a bit of both uh, I've been writing about that as well but <laughs> um, and um, i know
1: in your book you you talked about how companies did actually toy with the idea of having their own scent displays in vehicles
2: uh, yes, not not uh, not only toyed with, but actually introduced in uh, some cases in the Citroen C4 back in two thousand and five, in Mercedes uh, Benz C Class in twenty thirteen, um, and uh, Jaguar in the UK was also considering at least scoping out the possibilities of introducing olfactory entertainment, as it were, to you know to, to, to match the the, the musical entertainment that so many cars already have. Um, and The sort of purpose of introducing scent has been, has varied. Sometimes for the Jaguar case, they were considering whether, you know, you could enhance the driver's experience on the open road in the countryside uh, by, you know, connecting the car's GPS, figure out what sort of terrain the driver was passing through, uh, and then releasing sort of matching scents, be it the pine scent uh, when you go through the pine forest, be it, I don't know the smell of petrichor or, or jasmine, that kind of smell. You know, just after it's rained, if there's a particular smell that many people like. Could that be released after the car detects some bit, bit of water on the ground, through to the um, uh, citron case, which is not so much about matching the, the the scent to the environment the driver was going through, but instead trying to you know release scents to enhance the driver' well-being, or vitality, or mood. Um, And beyond that, others have thought, you know, could we, in some of our own research, we thought, you know, given how many drivers, um, how many accidents are caused by drivers falling asleep at the wheel or being tired at the wheel, is there any possibility there to kind of boost drivers' mental alertness by pumping out occasionally the smell of peppermint or citrus or grapefruit? And that's something that's been shown to be effective in studies around the world now, this sort of sudden release of an alerting scent. Uh, can improve uh, driver uh, performance. So, how, what, how did you test this stuff? Was there? I'm, I'm imagining a guy who is maybe
0: tired, or or is driving through a pine forest. We're like, do you put a bunch of <laughs> electrodes all over his head, and then just kind of like wave something in front of his face and go, okay, he's smiling. It's we've got an electrogram thing with a little chart with a little bouncy needle yeah. on it. I mean, why are we?
2: How are yeah, we testing um, this to make sure it works? Yeah. Yeah, so some so some of my colleagues certainly stick all those electrodes on people's heads. I'm, I'm not such a big fan of that. I like to you know, uh, work with behavior because I'm a psychologist. Um, and so what we do normally is initially we've got a, uh, uh, a driving setup in the lab in Oxford. And we start there and see what kind of signals and scents and sounds and touch uh, and combinations of all of the above work to um, help our drivers in the lab uh, break More efficiently when something happens, or or turn their head to you know to visualise to fixate maybe a a potential danger on the road around them. And once we figure out what works best there, what combination of sights and and sounds and smells and touches, then uh, we repeat the experiment at um, in the passing the driving simulator, uh, the national driving simulator in the UK, and on very rare occasion we go out onto the test track as well. So, how does
0: this? I'm, I'm imagining you probably tested men and women. What was the difference in the sensory experiences for men and women in a, in a car with different <laughs> with different senses? How did they react differently?
2: So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, that is a uh, relevant question, but one which our research isn't uh, kind of set up particularly to to assess. I can say you know we well, we have just enough participants normally or drivers to kind of demonstrate the effects we're interested in and seeing how big they are, but not really uh, enough participants very often to be able to pick up kind of subtle differences between uh, men and uh, women. Like I can say from some of our other research, you know, what we do find, even though we don't look for it, is that if there's one sex who's going to be more influenced by uh, smell, uh, then women tend to be uh, more, have more of an impact than uh, men. But in many cases, many tasks, uh, uh, they are, at least in our experiments, more or less the same. I'm, wonder, I'm thinking it would be great if
0: I was driving my favorite car and I was driving and I had this smell. And then maybe 15 years after I sold that car, I smelled something that reminded me. I've always heard that smell and memory are integral. And I almost—I think that would be it would be a unique experience. Is that
1: like smelling the perfume of an old girlfriend? Yes, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> well,
0: when I well, I had a bachelor party that was pretty fun, and there was a smell that I recognized maybe 20 years later, and it took me right back to that moment. It took me right there.
2: <laughs> and you see a bit of that with um, uh, this these great quotes from um, going back a decade or two now, but from S. C. Gordon, who who kind of. Um, uh, do the maintenance for Rolls-Royce cars, at least they used to do in the UK. Uh, and there, when you owners of these, you know, quarter of a million pound vehicles would send their vehicles in for uh, their checkup and uh, polish, they'd sort of come back and then the drivers would go, you know, wow, I, I don't know what you've done, uh, but, but my car's like new. And what they figured out, you know, back, you know, back in the 2000 and thereabouts was that they sort of bottled the scent of a 1955 silver cloud, Or silver shadow with the sort of smell of the leather and the wood, and simply by spritzing that in uh, uh, such a high-value item, it was possible to transform people's uh, impression of their car and and really to take them back to when it was like new, simply by you know playing to the sense of smell. so how do you, how do, you do this? Easy. I'm imagining a, a guy grabbing a
0: seat out of that old car from the junkyard and putting it in a big blender, <laughs> adding some water, and then you spritz it in. But it's, it's I'm sure, much more scientific than that. How do you get these <laughs> smells?
2: Um, so what one can do is, um, and some of our other work, you know, when, when we're trying to figure out, uh, capture the smell of, you know, an exotic flower, say, uh, then you just can capture the air around in over. The object of interest. Um, so one could just, you know, take, take the, take, take the uh, olfactory atmosphere from inside uh, said car. Of course, finding one that's in mint condition today of, of, you know, a model that was maybe last sold 50, 60 years ago is going to be a bit tricky. Uh, but just and by you know, analyzing the, the um, case where
0: the guy was like maybe spilled some coffee on the seat. You know, twenty years ago, now throw, it's, his, it throw the is, scent off. It's yeah. it's it's ninety nine percent Rolls Royce, one percent coffee. You don't want that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, then again, coffee's one of the most, you know, one of the world's most liked smells. So that would would be not the worst thing you could spill, <laughs> I should think.
1: So moving right along on the docket of senses in cars, a touch also has such a huge impact on our perception of cars. And you have a section in this chapter called Make It Snuggle in the Palm. Can you mm. explain that a bit?
2: Yeah, so this is a sort of a phrase. It goes back to the nineteen twenties after um Kind of the Great Uh, uh Depression. Uh, people were thinking about how to you know uh, reinvigorate the economy. So there is some sort of resonance with today. Um, and they're talking about you know perceptual engineering, humaneering was the name from, from researchers by the name of Sheldon and Aaron's, and they've got this book with some great quotes about how to design better to appeal more to the senses of the consumer, and they you know talk about the importance of uh, not only sort of the feel of the car keys in the driver's hand. It's not something that has any particular role in functionality of the vehicle, but if you can get that right, if it can feel just the right shape for the hand, maybe men's hands are bigger than women's hands. So you might think about something there. And also, you know, make it give it the right weight, the right heft. Then that can be the subtle cue that can kind of secure the sale. They talk about you know making sure to have the inside of the fur coats where women put their hands, make sure it's you know, soft and silky. No one will ever see it, but when they try it on, if they feel that, that can be the thing that that does the uh, does the trick. And my favourite example from from the recent times is. This sort of bizarre behavior, um, I don't have a car, so I've never done it, but uh, uh, those who've analyzed people's behavior when they go into the car showrooms is that, uh, obviously, we might listen to the sound of the car door closing, but then very often people will go uh, and tap on the dashboard with their knuckles. And this is something you never see once people have bought a car, there's no reason to do it, <laughs> but in the car showroom, people sort of think that the, the sound and the feel you get from tapping on the dashboard, that will sort of tell you about the integrity or quality of the part how well made the car has has been
1: so have manufacturers then focused on adding extra padding to simply just the dashboard alone i think it's the door yes. shutting i think it's the the, yeah, big yeah, one is the, the,
2: the door shut yeah, yeah. sound yeah clearly the, the door shut sound is is important and of course the sound of the engine to the to the driver as well uh, and there and there are teams of experts working on optimizing uh the sound of both and this um, is why cars yeah, average price
0: is over thirty five thousand dollars
2: <laughs> because they're paying guys to tap on
0: dashboards with their <laughs> knuckles and make sure it uh, sounds good. Uh,
2: yeah. um, but you know, every every little helps, and uh, they are indeed you know, fiddling with the material of the dashboard because you want to make sure that that sound is the right sound that it conveys uh, the right the right impression have to we, potential Have we lost up.
0: something though? Because it seems like you know you talk about the you know bottling that old smell right? Yep. Nobody was thinking about this type of stuff in the 60s. And everybody like always pines for the 60s and 70s, which is kind of the golden era of motoring, right? It was a lot of beautiful cars, Jaguars, Ferraris, the Camaro, Mustangs, all of these beautiful cars, which were kind of just kind of just designed, right? There wasn't a guy that necessarily that was They wanted things to feel nice, but they weren't hiring, you know, guys with PhDs from Oxford Mm -hmm. to try and figure out how to do it. But now they are trying to get people to figure out why their new stuff doesn't feel like the old stuff when, in in fact, the old stuff was just done. They just did it. You know, it just is, and it's like this nostalgia thing. So how are we – how do we build
1: nostalgia now?
2: Uh, Yeah. No, I think I've got articles I was just reading yesterday, you know, back from 1950 – uh, from National Geographic or, or something like that, uh, that was talking about, you know, the the, 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 the the scent of illusion and and how they were thinking about new car smell, even then, was a thing. It was, uh, I thought about, maybe engineered in a certain way. But the other thing is it's thinking about how today, through improved engineering, then, in fact, the car can be made silent when in motion to the driver. And um, I will get to but that But it just point. turns out that... you. you you know, once you want do that, then it turns out, well, that's not what a driver wants. If they're paying top dollar for, for, for a particular mark, then they want to hear the engine and they want that sound to be of their brand, not of a different kind of... A-
1: yeah, Charles, I was actually just going to read this line in your book. It mm-hmm. said, quote, after having successfully designed all of the noise out of a car's interior, engineers spend almost just as much time working out how to put it back in. <laughs> so, being car enthusiasts on our show, we're enamored with the sound of the engine of a car. So what goes into this process?
2: Um, uh, a lot of measurement, a lot of sort of psychoacoustics is the field, and, and I think uh, uh, as I mentioned in, in the quote from the very beginning, that uh, I work with the, you know everything from fridges to deodorants to cars to coffee makers, and obviously you know, wherever you're looking at the world of multisensory design, there's been more research has gone into uh, that in, in in the world of cars, um, and hence uh, that these days the whole area of research are sort of psychoacousticians they're called. Who will stick microphones, who knows where, in around <laughs> on top of under cars to, to, to really pick up you know, the, the, the nuances of the sounds uh, and then investigate uh, uh, what happens when you, you know, change the design, the build, um, and assess you know, do sort of psychometric testing on, on, on the drivers themselves to figure out. Well, what sort of sound is it that they're after, really? What what, what do they internalize as being what causes the, the, the dopamine hit sound? from sound?
0: When I hear something that I like, and it, is there any universal sounds that are great? Obviously, I've seen the military thing where they just point it at people; and it makes a sound, and they throw up. But is there an opposite <laughs> yeah. of that where where the human being just hears something and they get this dopamine hit? What is the what does it boil down to? Like, get the. Take the the engine away from it. Take the music away from it. Mm-hmm. Is there just different tones and frequencies that make us feel good?
2: Um, there might be something about you know a sense of uh, of, of awe, potentially or of um, yeah. I mean, it could be or if you hear something uh, occasionally, you know, sort of sonic logos and things. People talking about one of the latest Dolby sounds that just kind of got the hair standing up on the back of their neck and what was it about that and it might be something that you know suddenly feels that uh, has a uh, a certain uh, either power or size um, and that can be uh and you think of the apple when uh, the laptop
0: boots up right that little ding the dong yeah. that it makes yeah. I mean if, yeah. that sound yeah. is it's yeah. a In good
2: Yeah, and probably uh, sounds that ascend in pitch go up, like many jingles do. Those are more pleasant, whereas sounds that kind of descend or sounds that are lower in pitch may be less, um, a bit more uh, uh, depressing. And probably there must be something in there around, you know, how animal cries that may be, you know, uh, across species. The sound of screams, not really a pleasant sound. it's the opposite of what you want. But again, there seems to be some sort of, commonality across species in terms of the songs and the screams. Um, Babies crying too, can't <laughs> handle it, but it didn't start until <laughs> I, I mean, had kids. That was, that was, I mean, if you go back to the 1960s, that, that was one of my favorite bits of research from the uh, US military or on behalf of the US military from Oyer and Hardwick, 1969, um, and they were looking at you know what would be the best sounds to uh, get the populace down into the nuclear bunkers when the Russians were were getting ready to press the button. Um, And they tried out hundreds of sounds from klaxons to foghorns, but they also had this kind of evolutionarily uh, relevant sound, they thought, which was the sound of stampeding elephants. Now, would that get everyone rushing down to the shelters because we've been sort of evolutionary primed to to fear the sound of stampeding elephants? And if that didn't work and you were looking for a sort of sex-specific warning signal, Then they did try babies crying, which they thought would be more alerting to to mothers than to to fathers. What what, what were the findings of that? Yeah, What did they come up with? I mean,
0: stampeding elephants, you know, all it would take for me is if someone said, hey, there's a nuclear missile coming, go in the bunker. They would just have to tell me that. That's all it would take for
2: me. Yeah, yeah that, that sort of works, but you know, like in the car case, when you, it may be that you know sometimes those sort of verbal uh, instructions or alerts or warnings uh, uh, can be fine, but you're always going to run into the problem of you know if, if it's uh, you're selling in the car in a foreign market or if you're going on a holiday and got a hire car, then what language is it going to speak uh, 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 to you and in what tone of voice? Because uh, again, there are you know, sort of differences in whether we like to be you know uh, uh, screamed at like by the uh, drill sergeant in um, Stanley Kubrick's movies, or whether we, much, we like a much sort of softer and silkier uh, you know, Alexa or Siri kind of voice, just you know, trying to caress us into doing so the things that we should be. If all the manufacturers, automotive
0: manufacturers, are spending a ton of money on this, whether it's the touch, the feel, the sound, mm-hmm. the smell, and everything, why do I get in certain cars and just go, wow, this is cheap? They should know better by now that when I reach out to touch the turn knob for the heat, that if it's going click, click, click instead of vump boom, vump it feels cheap. And when I shut the door and it goes hong, ongong on instead of <laughs> choonk, I should know. So there is there is it just engineering compromise? Or are they just not able to engineer <laughs> it in? Or do they, or do they purposely do it? Does Toyota do it where their cars are cheap so that they can even build a Lexus?
2: Yeah, I mean, there could be a number of things going on there. On the one hand, you know, a bit like those uh, very cheap supermarkets out there, the Aldis and the littles in, in, in Europe. Uh, the space is sort of designed to look and feel cheap to match the cheap prices, so it all sort of comes as congruent in some way. Uh, on the other hand, it may be that, uh, you know, sometimes uh, the engineers may focus on functionality uh, and perhaps ignore some of the pathetic uh, uh, concerns um, and there maybe there, may, there may there might even be you know sort of cultural differences here cuz i was just reading yesterday how you know, in most parts of the world that new car smell which turns out in fact to be very bad for you these days it's full of all these volatile organic compounds and plastics decomposing and such like you, you really we really shouldn't like the smell as much as we do <laughs> but go when ford you were, were selling their cars in china uh, you know the results from the annual surveys of new car smell coming back. And, you know, 10% of of Chinese car buyers hate the new car smell. So maybe there you're getting into uh, uh, some sort of cultural differences in uh, preferences for different uh, 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 sort of... Sensory cues. I,
1: i'm I'm glad you brought that up because I do have a question about cultural subjectivity. But before I do, i want to I want to pose a question to you. And th- the question that I posed at the beginning of the episode here is from a psychoacoustics perspective, what do certain engine sounds good? So what makes a certain engine sound good or not? And that Chris kind of posed this on a more uh, broad sense about is it tone? Is it harmonics? Is there any one good answer?
2: Um, so part of what will be good will sound good to a Porsche driver, uh, won't sound good to a BMW fanatic. Um, so it's partly a matter of you know uh, the brand sound, as it were, the brand engine sound that we come to like um, to signal our purchase. Uh, but I think there's also beyond that partly there's sort of more animalistic the growl. Um, or oh, you know, as, as it was for the Harley Davidson, the potato, potato, potato sound. I was just going to say, so if um, somebody can
1: like
0: that
2: sound. <laughs> <laughs> Careful, you're talking to a Harley owner here. I am not. <laughs> I hate that sound. It's so loud. I don't understand. Uh, <laughs> and something about, um, I mean, probably there's not only the sound as the driver hears it from within the car, but also how other people out and around hear it. And in some cases, you know, the, the sound that the driver may like to hear themselves might be different from the one that will draw people's attention on the street. And sometimes, you know, that's what, what, the, what those car sounds are, are there for. But it's going to convey, you know, potentially uh, power and force <laughs> and strength and speed. And they're simply, you know, some of the car manufacturers, you know, have these different sort of sporty settings. Um, and, and I wonder when there is I'd actually, you know, press reports about this, how part of of what changes when you press the sporty setting for your car is just the sound changes different. Maybe the, the, red, the red lights come on; it sounds a bit more harsh and aggressive, um, and that can be you now take you a good part of the way to feeling that your car's performance uh,
0: uh, has changed. So, how are we doing with this new electric car sounds right? Because I think it was BMW that hired Hans Zimmer to create a right. sound for their mm-hmm. car. I mean, he did the War of the Worlds sound, where it's like, and the War of the Worlds, <laughs> they're vaporizing people, and they're turning into a pile of clothes, right? So he he's good at making mm-hmm. like those types of sounds. So they hired him to make a sound for the car. Are people feeling the same way? Or how do you engineer the yeah. electronic sound to be a positive thing for yep. people?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really interesting, sort of practical question, obviously, uh, but also a theoretical one that um, my colleagues in the sort of sound design, you know, business and, and the car I've been thinking about for sort of a couple of decades now, what should an electric car sound like? Clearly the idea of the silent car is a bad thing because pedestrians don't know what's coming, don't know what's hit them, as it were. Uh, so it needed to be a sound, but then what should well, yeah, that sound be, to be to hear hear like a black canvas? You, right? you, to, you <laughs> want to hear that
0: whirring sound before you get creamed.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, so, but what should it be? Should it should it be like traditional uh, petrol cars, or should it have a whole new sound? And this sort of gets you into the space, you know. Uh, sort of fond of you know of what when 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 Star Wars, because I'm a, a child of the 70s. When Star Wars came out, and we had the sound of the lightsaber. Then who designed that? What should a lightsaber sound like? Because there's never right. been one before. Um, but maybe you ought to convey something that is presumably different from uh petrol, diesel cars What does a
0: lightsaber sound like?
2: It kind of <laughs>
1: sounds like a neon light
0: that's moving, right? Well,
1: I am curious where they came up with it. Yeah. yeah, it
0: sounds like a neon light that's being swung around your head from a from the extension cord, which makes sense, yeah. I suppose.
1: <laughs> so, Charles- well, electric cars
0: <laughs> That's the thing though. The electric cars have to sound like the future. Whatever sound they make, they make can't sound like the past. It must sound like the future because that's how they're being rolled out is the future. I mean, that's all the future. Everything's mm-hmm. the
2: future. So they have to and sound so with futuristic. It, yep. And so, so should they also smell like the future? Ooh. Maybe you know, the, 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 the new car smell should, you know, should should sort of qualitatively change or, once make that flip. And that, you know, all of those sensory touch points should be a, a kind of recognizably kind of a continuation of, but somehow different. I was just writing yesterday about, you know, sort of a virgin hype loop and, uh, and other futuristic transport Things. And it's sort of bizarre, these forms of transport that, that feel very futuristic and almost unreal, they're already thinking about what will the Hyperloop stations smell like? What will their fragrance be? And it's almost, like, you know, you, 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 by, by, by creating the smell, by creating the sound, you're almost making the future real. Right. It's going to happen if we have a smell for it, if we have a particular sound for it. I was thinking it would smell like
0: ozone. <laughs> like that's that. No, just like that smell of ozone, which is like this weird electrical or, smell.
2: Or, 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 or maybe it's going to smell like uh, Elon Musk, isn't it? He uh, I saw on the web, this <laughs> thing you can buy. You they, not the pine cards you'd ha- hang in your cars years ago, but <laughs> I guess it depends on what he had for lunch. <laughs>
1: So, Charles, one of my favorite parts of your book was when you explained the, quote, perceived risk of driving and how with more and more safety features Mm -hmm. being added to cars, people are more likely to take more risks while driving, be it texting, speeding, or just driving more recklessly. And one proposed solution was placing a giant metal spike on the steering wheel. (laughs) The logic being that this would, quote, dramatically increase the perceived risk for the driver and make them drive more cautiously as a result. Now, while that certainly wasn't realistic, you did work with the manufacturer on just this topic, didn't you?
2: So, uh, uh, while they haven't found a car manufacturer who's willing to um, put a spike on their steering wheels as yet, uh, I think there are other ways of achieving the same goal, which is to try and uh, increase drivers' anxiety a little bit, because that seems to be what they want. They're trying to, you know, optimize a certain level of risk and excitement so they just um, everybody you put everybody to those get married, measures in, the wife ride uh, the car, the car driving becomes <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or project as we did. Uh, try projecting a uh, scary face with the whites of the eyes like something out of The Shining um, onto the sti- onto the um, window screen. When we do it subliminally, so very briefly presented, so your <laughs> conscious brain you wouldn't realise you'd seen anything, but your subconscious brain, your fear circuits would be would be primed, would be activated. Uh, and by so doing we hope to be able to to to, to reduce uh, 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 sort of the, the, the dangers on the road by giving you that anxiety that excitement that so many drivers crave without having to increase the risk of uh, accident Wow well I do have one last question for you Charles on a
1: completely subjective level do you have a personal favorite sounding car <laughs>
2: Uh, Of the, the, um, no, no, not really, of the the car engine. Uh, I'm very fond of, you know, the uh, Bentley uh, and uh, and their use of, you know, carriage clock sounds, tick tock, and use that as the sound of the indicator. So some of the more sounds of the car, my preference is about...
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Professor Charles Spence. Uh, Your book, Sense Hacking, is out now. I know I was able to find it online. Where else can people find Find that?
0: We'll put it up on the show notes. We'll find it for you. We'll make sure everybody has a link to it and make sure everybody can see it. Thank you. I I really appreciate you spending some time with us today. My pleasure. Enjoy the sound of those birds. Thank you. It's fun. (laughs) (laughs) Take care. Thank you.
1: Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: That dude, I want to have some, I guess I would have to have cocktails with this guy. I or mean, I tea. Don't, I tea, imagine tea, tea being or cocktails. professor at Oxford. You know, he was talking about the first thing that popped in my mind. He's talking about them. Like superimposing a scary face on yes. this, I'm like, oh my god! It reminded me of Fight Club, where they just like start showing a penis every once in a while. <laughs> like one frame is just a dick. <laughs> it's just a subliminal thing where they Was just that throw it in up the there. movie. Yes, it 100 is in the movie in Fight Club. Every once in a while, Why? one one frame is a Why? penis. I don't know. They're probably trying to introduce something. Just oh like this guy goodness. wants to put the scary thing on the on the windshield with the whites of the eyes and the. I mean, that's. It's all subliminal messaging. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. all subliminal messaging. For sure. And uh, I, you know, I, what is your favorite sounding car? Regular car, street car. Otherwise, we could get out of control. What's your, re- I,
1: yeah, I really do think, and he, here's what's interesting, because just to his point, it's subjective based on your own experiences. It is. And That's what I was trying to get as, I was trying to get at,
0: is there, is there certain things that are universal? Right, right. Is there universal thing? And it doesn't sound like there is.
1: No, and when I was reading about this, it it is actually interesting how what people like in the sound of an engine specifically is actually culturally subjective. So Americans like the big thumping V8s whereas Europeans like a more athletic high-strung sound. Right. And that is just across the board. So you it's- couldn't drag somebody out
0: of the 1700s and put them at a racetrack and go which one do you like the sound of best? The guy <laughs> would, would go, just oh, go, ah! "What is all this noise? Why are there so many witches? These should all be drowned."
1: <laughs> uh, with that being said, based on my own objectivity, no subjectivity I guess, in my experiences, I do like an air-cooled 911. Mine is probably still a VR6. Really? The 12-valve
0: VR6 is, I love my, the 911 sound is great too, but I think one of the best sounding cars, my favorite is my car. Yes. But one of the best sounding street cars is a 12-valve VR6. Intake noise is incredible. It is very good. It's absolutely
1: incredible. Really is. All right, guys, before we let you go, be sure to head over and Give a review to the podcast, whether you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever your platform is, take a moment and tell us what you think and share with others. And hit that subscribe button. Absolutely. Yeah. Otherwise, we will see you on Friday with news. Take care. The top of the top
0: fight club is you do not talk about fight club second rule of fight club is you do not talk about fight club